Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Hello, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Cindy Muchnick. She is the author of The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. Cindy has been working in education for the past 25 plus years as a former assistant director of college admissions, a high school teacher, an educational consultant, and an author of nine other books. Cindy is also a mother of three sons and a daughter, now ages 16 to 24. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you for having me, ladies. I've been so excited to have a conversation with you. I have followed your show and all your humor in the face of motherhood and crazy zany things that we all do to try to to keep our sanity. Thanks. I wanted to start with the title of this book because it's called The Parent Compass. And I came into it thinking that this is going to be like, okay, you are the compass for your children. Maybe you're the map maker, you're setting a course for your child, and here's how you're going to do it. Here's how you're going to make a good compass for your child. Surprise, surprise, this is a compass for me, the parent. Can you tell us about that? That's right. It's pretty interesting. Um, Originally, this book was birthed sort of as a result of the college admissions scandal in early 2019 when zany, crazy parents actually not even crazy, just illegal (laughs) parents were cheating and, you know, finding these illegal ways to kind of try to get their kids into colleges that, you know, they felt were a direct reflection on, you know, who they were as parents. And I called up my co-author, actually, Jen Curtis, and the two of us had a very long conversation. We've both worked with students for the last 30 years combined, and especially focusing on tweens and teens. And the two of us said, parents are out of control. And off the rails. And we had seen a little bit in our groups and practices with students, parents who had parented in a really intense, you know, over-involved way. And then parents who had kind of done it in a softer, gentler, more consultant, shoulder-to-shoulder way. And we saw a lot of the parent behavior reflected in the behavior of the teens in terms of sort of their happiness, their ability to self-advocate, their ability to speak for themselves and and just have less anxiety, depression, all those kinds of bad things. So we decided to write originally what was going to be an etiquette book for parents to teach parents the right way to behave in these really challenging years. Because face it, we all know up until a certain age, we're kind of, we are doing everything. We are driving them places, feeding them, getting them to the doctors, getting them to activities, dealing with teacher issues, whatever those things might be. And at a certain point, it's their turn to take over. And it's knowing when that point is. It can start very, very early, by the way, the point of certain ways that they can begin to take over. But ultimately, we're trying to raise kids that can navigate this world on their own. 
not with us hovering and micromanaging. So the book really became a way for parents to follow their own true north, their own parent compass, and to deeply self-examine so they could check themselves and pull back at the times that they really should be pulling back, which we're hard to do because we love our kids so fiercely that we want to do more for them. We feel like that's a sign of our love. And unfortunately, the science and the data tells us that's actually not what we want to be doing quite as heavily. And I think it's interesting in terms of the scandal that happened with college admissions that while the behavior was terrible, illegal, and totally misguided, I think fundamentally from, you know, seeing interviews with people who were involved, for them, it was an extension of their feeling of love for their children. So while it's kind of easy to look and say like, oh, crazy people, I think that we have to start by acknowledging the story that we tell ourselves that like our love for our children looks like helping them to succeed at any cost. That's actually very well put because there's this fine line, right? And we want to stay on the right side of the line. And there are these definite gray areas. I mean, remember when we had tiny kids and we go into the grocery and we saw the mom pushing the cart and she was popping M&Ms into her kid's mouth because the kid was screaming. And she was like, another M&M, another M&M just to get me through my grocery trip. And I had no children. Remember when we were that mom? Yes, I do. <laughs> right. And I, well, so I looked at that mom pre-kids for me and I'm like, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. And then here I am, you know, a few years later with the Skittles, you know, trying to keep my kid quiet in the grocery or on the airplane or whatever it takes. And so we always look ahead and think, we're not going to do that. But as we get to that age with our own kids, a lot of times it is really hard. And parents show their love by doing and, you know, trying to manage and fix and, and heal and support. But there is that fine line of the ways to do that. And when that becomes obviously extremely wrong and breaking the law, I mean, think about how those kids must have felt in the scandal where their parents were saying, I don't think you're good enough or you can do this on your own. And therefore I'm in a medal and get you tested in a fake way and pretend you're an athlete and do these things that are just beyond measure. And again, I think a lot of parents looked at that of college age kids saying, Oh my God, that would never be me. But boy, I'm doing some things that might be hinting, you know, not at illegal, but it's just way too much, way too much consumption over my kids. So how do you suggest that parents go about creating this compass? Is it the same for all of us? Is it the same true north? That's a great question. So when my co-author Jen and I finished writing the book, we read all of the galleys and we realized there was a really important piece missing. So here we were giving all this kind of guidance along the way of ways that you can help your guide your kids through life after school, ways that you can, the role, proper role you can play in their academic environment, you know, how to teach your kids to self-advocate and how to help, you know, encourage that, how to support your kids' goal setting. You know, we had all these different chapters that covered lots of important areas of raising tweens and teens. But what we realized was we forgot to ask the parents to take a deep dive and self-investigate. So we created this chapter that ended up being the very first chapter of the book that's about looking backwards. And it's the only time that we ask teens to even participate in the book. And the way we do that is we surveyed, we talked to a lot of consultants who were, you know, professional authors, psychologists, thought leaders, educators. We got all their feedback and input on what are parents kind of doing 
wrong in their eyes. And a lot of them, you know, supplied information confidentially to us. And then we created a questionnaire for parents um, individually to look back at their own life, the way that they were raised, the way that they were parented, the way education was treated in their home, how independent they were, you know, did they go to college? Did their parents go to college? Meaning the grandparents of the kids in the books. So the bottom line on all of it was we asked these parents to look backwards in order to be able to kind of address all that baggage and then parent forward and apply it to each of these individual kids that they had who we know are all different. And then we created what we call a teen questionnaire. And it's just one page of questions. And we tell parents, hey, find your kids at that right moment when there's some food, when the technology might be off or in the other room, and when they're in a pleasant mood and say to them, I want to be a better parent. I want to do a better job and I'm trying to learn. And in order to do that, I have filled out this questionnaire. Would you take five minutes and do your questionnaire? And the kids will kind of roll their eyes. But when they hear you say you want to be a better parent, their ears kind of prick up because you're admitting that you want to improve too, that you're not perfect, you know, nor should they be. And so this teen questionnaire asks kids, what do you want of your parents? And how do you view yourself as a teen in these various areas? And then it creates this conversation between the parent and the teen so that moving forward, the parent can say, hey, do you want my advice on that? Or do you want me to just listen? Hey, do you want just a hug? Or do you want, you know, to just go on a drive or a run and forget about it? You know, how can I best parent you for what it is that you need right now? As opposed to, I know everything. I've been through all this. I'm seasoned. I have tons of advice to give you. Let me just give it all to you. Because then that takes away your kid's opportunity to solve their own problems or to feel that you're just a sounding board. And a lot of times they just want to dump, right? They just want to dump it out. Um, I know, Amy, you have a college kid. And I would imagine you sometimes get this phone call. I call it the phone dump where they call because you're a safe audience, you or your spouse, and they sort of let it all out. This, you know, everything that's been going on, there's sometimes tears, there's a bad grade or a bad situation with a friend or a roommate or whatever all their issues are. And then usually it happens at night when you're about to go to bed and you don't sleep the whole night because you're worried about your kid and should you get on a plane and what can you, how can you support them? And oftentimes you find out the very next day or even after they've dumped, they're great. Because they got it out and they shared it and dumped it onto your shoulders and now they've moved on. And so I feel like in having this conversation and in telling your kids you want to do better, oftentimes they go, wow, all right, yeah, I'll take five minutes and answer your questions and let's have a quick conversation about it. And now I'm moving on. And then you can take that information and figure out how to apply it. And then the book kind of guides you through all of those steps later. So the parent questionnaire, we think is a really effective tool and a lot, we tested it on a lot of people who've said it was really helpful. So we hope it is. But the teenager fills out the questionnaire and then that becomes what goes on your compass? Oh, so, so, okay. The parent has their own, that's self-examination. The teenager has one that's more like, what do they feel in some ways? What do they feel the parent is kind of doing that's helpful? And what's the parent doing that they roll their eyes and isn't so helpful? And so the parent kind of absorbs that information once they've done their own self-examination. And then we call the compass itself. What is the parent compass? This kind of metaphor. It's this metaphor for checking yourself. It's a metaphor for saying, how can I do this in a different way? Or how can I do this in a way that's not smothering my child and micromanaging and, and doing too much? And where do I find that kind of sweet spot? In fact, my co-author gave me, I'm wearing a little compass around my neck. It's a tangible reminder that when I go off the path, I can kind of come back on. It's my true north as a parent to 
doing the best that I can do by my kid. And that's hard also because each of our kids are different. So I have one that's a huge talker and does those phone dumps very often. And I have one that's a huge mumbler that says very little. So I have to figure out the best ways to communicate with each of them in the ways that they communicate. As you can see, I'm a talker, so that's easy for me. But the Parent Compass teaches also parents to be better listeners. And that's a whole chapter dedicated to listening and question asking. How do you ask good questions, not just how was school today, which usually yields a grunt or an eye roll or a boring one sentence, but how to ask better questions, how to be a better listener and A lot of that comes kind of from basic therapy, you know, parroting back some of the things they're saying, but also saying, tell me more and not, you know, and sometimes saying, oh, something like that happened to me once. If you want, I can share it. And sometimes they don't want to hear it. But other times, if you say, oh, my gosh, I remember that time I bombed that test, they go, oh, wow. So, you know how I'm feeling. So um, there's all these kind of people say they read the book on a Friday over the weekend. And by Monday, they can start trying some of these parent compass steps that we offer. So it's a quick, easy read that that uses case studies and stories from students we've worked with through the years. It uses our own mistakes we've made as parents. So Jen and I come totally clean with all the flub ups that we've had and how we've had to learn from those. And then we consult with thought leaders and experts, many of whom you've had on your show to give us the data, give us their experience and their lens and their angle on it. And we, you know, do kind of all the research for the reader so that it just makes it, it's all right there. And then there's a resource guide in the back that offers further places to go. We're talking to Cindy Muchnick, the author of The Parent Compass. And when we come back, I want to talk about how we're thinking of this parent compass through all ages and stages. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking... I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. 
If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen dot me and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. We're back and I want to talk about, we've been talking a lot about teenagers, college age kids. We have a lot of listeners who are starting at the beginning They still have little ones at home. And we say this all the time, right? Your kid who, your four-year-old who doesn't do anything independently, that's maybe the beginning of a problem that you're going to see when they are having trouble navigating life at college without you to hold their hands. And so let's talk a little bit about how we start this parent compass practice with younger kids and how we start applying this to kids so that as they need to be independent and functioning and doing things as semi-adults, they're ready for that experience. That's a perfect question. And it does make a lot of sense because we're planting the seeds early. I mean, if you are reading the parent compass, when you have a tween and a teen, it's not too late, but there are things that you can do earlier to really support that. So one of the easiest, I think, is when you talk about tasks that kids can do when they're little, something as simple as tying your shoes, which we know we can tie them <laughs> for them very quickly. Oops. I just had to teach my 12-year-old how to do it. So believe me, not everyone does this right, friends. There was a pandemic. It was fun. It was a pandemic and Velcro <laughs> shoes have done me in. That's right. That's right. But, you know, not just tying your shoes, but if you are out and about and you're at a restaurant, for example, and your kids want the coloring sheet or they want their water glass filled or they want to order for themselves, let them practice doing that. If you go to the dentist or the doctor with your kids, right when you walk in, they say, your name, what's your name? What's your date of birth? And then the doctor will say, what's wrong? So whether your kids are four or 14, they can express at least at a first pass when they're four, what's wrong? My tummy hurts. I feel really hot, you know, whatever their thing is. And then you can obviously supplement with the doctor. But the main thing that Jen and I really talk about a lot in the book is how important it is starting at a very young age to watch our kids do hard things. So it's hard to watch our kids do hard things, A, because we can fix those things or make them easier very easily. But two, because by doing the hard things, we have to be more patient and almost watch them struggle through it. But when they come out the other side and they say, I did the bunny ears and I tied my shoe or the lady filled up my water glass and I said, thank you. And, you know, the doctor gave me the medicine or whatever it is. They do feel a sense that they're independent and have, you know, self-advocacy skills and can, you know, not quite fend for themselves. But, you know, I look at my young adults that I have now and I don't pay very close attention to the, you know, how they're feeding themselves, where they're traveling, how they're getting themselves up in the morning, whatever those things are, they're adults or young adults, and they've been prepared to do that. And I think that has to start pretty early, even at an age where your kids are starting to set their alarm clocks, which I'm a believer in the alarm clock, not the cell phone waking you up, but, you know, an old school $10 at Target, you know, digital clock or um, one with hands if they know how to read it. But, you know, even with the waking them up in the morning before school, you know, it's hard to have them wake up late. It's hard to have them forget their homework. All those things, we have to sort of let those mistakes happen so that the next time they don't happen. Or maybe it takes three tries. Maybe it takes more. Sometimes it becomes a chronic problem and you have to sit down and say, let's have a conversation about this. How can we do our mornings better? Can we lay out our clothes the night before? Can we pack your lunch the night before? You know, how much preparation? And as we know, with multiple kids and multiple personalities, 
as a parent, you're managing a small business, basically. You're just trying to kind of hold it together with scotch tape. So I think starting some of those, you know, some of those tasks early and, and letting them do hard things is pretty important. And is this new? Is it generational? I mean, my husband talks a lot about getting a college application and applying and because he thought he wanted to go. And I definitely did not call my mom and dad from college. I mean, I maybe called them on Sundays to give them an update, but I was definitely not calling my parents. I was. It was 10 cents a minute. 10 cents a minute, whether it was expensive. I just, I think fundamentally they just did not play the role of spiritual counselor in my life, right. which I think is very different. I don't now that is something I see in some ways. It's a huge positive. I think I I'm very close to my kids in a way that's probably helpful to them. But I do notice like, huh, this seems kind of different than the way. I yeah. I mean, to. there certainly are generational things. We all know that when, you know, we send our kids or when our kids are involved with their grandparents and we get those kind of judgy looks or they have a very different experience with their grandparents just because their grandparents have a very different style that's generational and they're older and all of those things. But yes, I mean, I remember the Sunday night phone call and I remember going to the mailbox and waiting for a letter or a care package, or, you know, which didn't happen very often. That might be part of it, too. Just the actual communications. Sure. My husband's grandmother used to send like a $5 bill with a little card and say, how did your test go or whatever it was, you know? So I remember those things from a generation ago. And so I think we can all clearly define the moment that social media began, that the connection became, you know, more permanent, more frequent, more direct, more constant. And, you know, don't even get me started with, you know, tracking our kids. I mean, I, I track my daughter because she's a new driver. I track her because she's on the road and she's nervous. And she said, can you just watch that I got there and I'll tell you when I got there. But knowing that I'm seeing the path she's taking as a new driver by herself, that's great. Do I need to know where she is in college and where she's sleeping or what party she might be at or this or that? Absolutely not. Do I need to text her or call her? They say college kids are like teacups right now, very fragile because parents have been waking them up every morning making all the appointments for them. Kids can't go in and talk to their professors because they haven't learned how to talk to teachers yet. You know, there's all these stunted growth that our kids have now because of that over-involvement. And that's, that is our fault. I mean, I really blame it on social media and I do blame it on parenting and it's coming from a place of love. It's coming from a good place. We believe that we're being helpful, but we need to be reminded that in order to kind of show our most, our, you know, deepest love in some ways we have to pull back. And that restraint is hard. But I want to push back on that because different kids, like, so I have very different kids that require, I think, pretty different compasses, right? Like I have a kid who needs to figure out this stuff for themselves. And I have a kid with ADHD who will forget their homework every day, who would be late for school every day. Like, and we have the alarm clock and then we also need a wake up. So that kid needs more scaffolding than other kids. Is that a different compass? And I think about this all the time. Like, how do I rule that off? But it's not the same. It's not one size fits all. Sure. That's true. Learning challenges or kids with whatever needs they might have where you as a parent need to supplement those or be involved in those. That's kind of, I wouldn't say off the table, but that's the audience for the parent compass. You can take some of these and, and some are going to work for some kids and some are not going to work for others. Some are going to apply and be easy for you to do. And others are going to say, I would never do that. That doesn't really appeal to me. And some parents read it and say, oh, I'm doing a lot of this stuff already, but somehow 
I'm not feeling like my kid is, you know, moving on from that. And that's when we kind of go to the final chapter of the book, which are alternative routes, which are supporting our kids who don't want to go to a four-year college, who think that, you know, that's just the straight journey that they're supposed to be on and school isn't their thing or academics aren't their thing. And they're, you know, whatever, more creative, or they want to learn a trade or they want to try working right away after school. They want to, you know, I mean, we see these posts that come through social media now saying, you know, if you work in air conditioning, you make like $45 an hour, you know, and you've learned a craft to, do that or, or in, you know, whatever these trade schools might offer. And some kids want to join the military. Others want to do a gap year or spend some time at community college, just testing the waters, saving up money, you know, deciding, you know, they bloom at different stages and at different rates. So yes, your, to your question of applying a different compass to each kid, it's a little bit more following your own compass. And then yes, knowing your kid and how it may or may not apply to them. So yes, you'll try one of them and it will work great. And you'll try another and it won't. One of the chapters talks about life after 3 p.m. And some kids can get themselves everywhere they need to go, especially if they're driving or they're doing an activity right on campus. But of course, if they don't have a car and you have to get them to this activity or that activity and then pick them up and find food along the way or whatever it might be, you know, it's different. I remember in high school, I could do a sport and I could be in the play. Like I could do both because the time was less. You could go to, you know, your sport from 3 to 4.30 yeah, do homework, do have a meal, and then go back to your rehearsal. You know, do your rehearsal from seven to nine or whatever it might be. Nowadays, kids, their practices go longer. They're year round instead of just seasonal. They're five days a week, which is my cause of my life. We don't need to be doing this five days a week. I know. And you know, studies are showing now that all these kids, and we we talk about this in the Parent Compass with sports, have all of these injuries that are very adult injuries that they're having. Like kids are getting, you know, blown out knees at age 12. And doctors over the last 10 years have seen a huge uptick of ACL injuries that they never saw on 12-year-olds, you know, a generation ago. They saw them on adults or college athletes or professional athletes. And so these kids, their bones and their bodies are getting worn down earlier from specializing in that repetitive motion. And again, sometimes a parent's dream of having your kid be a college athlete or having your kid be an Olympian. I mean, you know, these are very, very small percentages that actually do that. It should be, what does your kid enjoy? Are they having a great time doing it? Are they burnt out? Take a break. Try something different. You know, they have the opportunity to to voice what it is they want to be doing. And it doesn't mean they're going to love every minute of it. But we have to pay attention to those signs, too, of burnout and, you know, and anxiety and the start of depression or depression. Well, we always say in section three of our podcast, we turn towards solutions. So we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and drill down on the parent compass and how is it going to help us fight all of these trends. We are talking to Cindy Muchnick, the author of The Parent Compass, and we'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own. And today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. So, Cindy, I wanted to ask you about the idea of like doing what's right for your kid when the norm is something different, right? Like your kid really wants to play baseball. And in your town, every kid who plays baseball goes to the camp and plays club and has a pitching coach and da -da, right. And your kid won't make the team if you don't play that game or say like in your kid's high school, everybody gets a tutor for the SAT and that's bonkers. And we shouldn't have tutoring for the SAT. But if your parent compass is like, nope, we don't do that. That's dumb. Then your kid might suffer as a result. So how do you set your true north, which I guess, I guess the true north on this compass is maintaining your relationship with your child. So you have one once they leave the house. Is that what we're starting with? Yeah, that's actually the number one goal is that there's a relationship left when they're gone. <laughs> and so how do you, you know, at times I'm just thinking when you're like these kids that get burned out, it's like, yeah, but sometimes you have a 12 year old kid who wants the pitching coach and wants to play travel baseball and do the... Right. So what do you do when that is their goal and you think it's nuts? So let me illustrate that. It's a great question. Let me illustrate that with a couple quick anecdotes. First of all, what you're describing is called competitive parenting. It's actually a term. You know, parents kind of feeling like they have to keep up with the other parents. If you're not the one tutoring, if you're not the one coaching, if you're not the one, you know, the tutoring that you mentioned is really tricky because um, we have kind of a step-by-step -step guide of when is the right time to kind of hire a tutor. And I have to tell you, the only tutor I ever had for my kids was a Hebrew tutor because I don't know Hebrew and I can't help prepare them for a bar or bat mitzvah. So they had to have someone teaching them that, right? But schools obviously offer their own support, AKA the teacher, peer tutors, a study skills center, places on campus, older kids where they can kind of get help and should go kind of right away. And this over tutoring that's happened has gotten ridiculous, right? It's gotten, you know, that tutoring has become this extracurricular activity. I mean, what kid wants to spend more time tutoring and doing homework than they've done, you know, before. So my main thing is with parents is knowing when to kind of pull back. I mean, if, if your kid is saying, I really want to do this and my friends are doing it and they seem to really be enjoying it, 
then I would say go with that and let them kind of take the lead and guide them. And if you see that, yes, they're the worst kid on the baseball team and they're miserable and they're never getting a moment to get off the bench, you know, and if they're upset about that, then you could say, well, you know, I could talk to your coach and we should could find out if you can learn a little bit extra or we can talk to the coach and find out if you'll ever get a chance. And you can help give your kids the words to kind of self-advocate to their coach. And again, through middle school, you're still kind of involved with the adults in their lives, but starting to equip them to speak to the adults. And sometimes it's intimidating to talk to the coaches or talk to your teacher, but you guys can practice at home. They can write a little note card. I always tell kids, bring the note card in when you want to talk to an adult. So you don't forget, you don't get nervous and you have right there what it is you want to talk about. Adults really respect that when the kids have their three points that they want to say and their bullet points. But I think the key, Amy, to kind of staying away from that kind of over psycho freak out parent is to surround yourself with a couple in your village that are are, are like minded like you to find your people who are willing to kind of follow a parent compass and hold back a little and not at the detriment of their kids, but because they see the long view. They see that, you know what, my kid's not going to be a baseball star, a baseball athlete. He really likes being on the team and he can hit the ball well enough and he's happy to be there with his friends. But if my kid is feeling miserable or, oh, I'm never going to be good enough and I've got to lop on this, that and the other, then if you're talking about a kid at the low end that you're trying to train up, that's much harder than a kid who's like at the, you know, really naturally athletic end and maybe, you know, wants to improve their skills to be, try to be seen by a college coach or whatever it might be. So I think it's also knowing where your kid falls on the spectrum of the activity or of what it is they're kind of doing. But we talk a lot about building a village and just finding all you need are a couple parents that are like you that you don't feel alone because the Joneses, I mean, who are the Joneses? They're just the majority, I guess, that have said, this is the way we're going to do it. And this is the right way. And I don't know, I think it's kind of, you know, I don't want to view my kids as an experiment, but I would say I was probably the parent rebel in a lot of ways and just kind of said, that's not for me. That's okay that that's for them. And they're doing however they're doing. And have they gone back and looked at, you know, look at their history, look at where they went to school or the kind of family they were raised in or what it is they're trying to do. And we can only parent our own kids. And I think when we start to compare ourselves to the people around us, it's very hard. You know, we know we get curveballs on our second, third, and fourth kids. We feel prepared and we're never prepared. My fourth child had the most anxiety and stress of any of my kids. And I wasn't as prepared to deal with that and had to learn, relearn a lot of things and learn a lot of things from other parents that I didn't know. And I thought, oh, I was really well prepared by working with teens and, you know, having three older kids. And that was something we really had to, you know, roll up our sleeves and address and nip in the bud right away and figure out how to support. And I think you talk about reframing success because one of the things we talk about all the time on the podcast is that you can't ever control other people, unfortunately, as much as it would be great and it would really help us if we could. So the people who seem to be doing all of the camps and you think like, wait, I'm falling behind. I think the solution kind of lies in your idea about reframing success and what that looks like. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like we're looking at things like intact relationships, being able to self-advocate that we're framing our success much more internally than externally. 
Correct. So the foreword of our book is written by a woman named Denise Pope, who is a co-founder of an organization called Challenge Success. And if your school is not a challenge success school, I would recommend looking them up because what they do is basically turn the idea of success on its head. It's not measured by grades and test scores and the name of the college you go to. It's, you know, based on, you know, how happy is your kid in the environment they're in? How good are they at communicating with teachers? How, you know, satisfied are they with the life that they're kind of already leading and exploring and how well can they self-advocate? All of those kind of independent skills. And Challenge Success goes into schools and actually surveys parent communities, teacher communities, administrative communities, and student communities to kind of try to reframe schools with late, to create schools that have later start times, um, bigger pastimes between classes, more free downtime for kids to be able to engage, all of those things, and doesn't focus on U.S. News and World Report and some magical list that parents think, you know, has the answer to what will bring happiness to your kid. And so I think that, yes, the sooner parents can kind of get off the, you know, the bandwagon of, you know, it's all about, you know, this goal that we've been setting and grooming our kids towards. And they're my trophy and and more about, listen, what's going to make my kid, you know, neat and independent and feel good about who they are and what excites them. You know, we all had our turn to be teenagers and now it's their turn. So whatever route we chose or maybe our parents helped us choose, who knows, was our journey. And so to live vicariously through our kids and try to manipulate or, you know, inauthentically create a journey for them is just so far from what our job should be. I do think we have to take that long view of, you know, how will they develop grit? How will they develop resilience? How will they learn to speak for themselves? All those things we read about from Carol Dweck and, and all the experts out there, Wendy Mogul, you know, how do we teach them to do this on their own and, and appreciate them? And I think it's when we can kind of just let go of, yeah, measuring success by where they get to somehow at the end, to what end? Like we know college is just a piece of life, not everything about life. And some of the smartest and coolest and most interesting people I know have either not gone to college or have gone to colleges I might not have heard of when I was applying to college or even now. I, you know, there's 4,000 colleges in the United States and there's 40,000 high schools. So you do the math. It doesn't mean that like, you know, there's a place for everyone at all these colleges. And I think over 60% of them, they say, you know, admit over 75% of the students who apply, you know, so there's a lot of places that are, doesn't mean that, oh, it's just easier to get into. Kids are looking for particular programs. They have a niece who wanted to pursue music and found an amazing state college that had a fabulous bass guitar teacher, professor that she wanted to follow. And other kids who want to pursue whatever, you know, a talent or interest is, finds more colleges that are off the beaten path or alternative routes, as we talked about before. Cindy, tell us about The Parent Compass and you and where our listeners can find you. Sure. So we have this book, The Parent Compass. My co-author, Jen, and I, you can find us on www.parentcompassbook.com and you can follow us at Parent Compass on Instagram. But I do love to come present at schools and present for families. So if anyone has a school that wants to bring a speaker in and get the Parent Compass movement started at their school, we also do book club drop-ins. So if you choose the Parent Compass for your book club, we'll zoom in on your conversation day and check in and answer questions or participate in the dialogue with you. And I guess the other way would be, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook. Facebook, we've got the Parent Compass. And we've also got a LinkedIn with our names, Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis. But overall, you can just find us on the website at parentcompassbook.com. Awesome. We'll link to all of those places in our show notes. And Cindy, thank you so much for talking to us today. This was great. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks for having me. 
Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.